0: Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. Today we're going to be dealing with, uh, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So we're walking through this book of 1 Corinthians. We're just going... Uh, as much as we can, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and dealing with a lot of the tough topics along the way. And so uh, today, if you, how many of you guys read ahead to chapter seven? Anybody you read this week, chapter seven, right? Some of you guys did. All right, so uh, you know that this topic is about, there, there's uh, a topic of a marriage, about singleness, about divorce, about sex. And so since the Bible doesn't shy away from difficult topics, I'm not going to shy away from difficult topics either. And so today we're going to be talking about that. Uh, first of all, let me just ask Does anybody have trouble sleeping? Like recently, anybody trouble sleeping? all right so several people. Uh I've I've had trouble sleeping lately, and I it's because uh I have dogs that, that sleep in the basement downstairs. I have too many dog stories. Uh I, you know, I don't know why I have so many, but I have these dogs that, that sleep directly below our bedroom, and they're through the vents up in there, it comes right up in so any any noise they make all night long is like piped right in, like a microphone, like a speaker, loudspeakers into my room. And so I I just imagine cuz the last several nights the dogs it's like they're down there conspiring with one another cuz i have 3 of them like what kind of sound can we make that would just be the most annoying sound just over and over again all night long and that's what they've been doing so uh, a couple nights ago i just i got up and i went and i just like for, forget it i'm just going to let them outside and just you know see what happens and and so as i'm opening up the deal and we're in the garage and i uh, i have a golden retriever and as as i was there just no shoes on or anything uh, the i open up the door and the golden retriever put puts its, its paw on my my bare toes. And it has these claws that are more like talons. And as it peeled out to run outside, it crushed, it dug into my, my little toes. And I let out, almost let out a word um, that wasn't from, that wasn't from angels. And I stopped myself, thank the Lord. Uh, but it was right there on the tip of my tongue. I don't know where that came from. And and so it ran out, and so I'm, I'm like having trouble sleeping. How many guys, uh, ha, when you go to sleep, you have to get everything just perfect? Anybody, you, you do that type, like the pillow has to be just right, you have to be laying just right, the blanket has to be just right, the, I have to, so here's what I'm, go, I'm getting into this situation now. I don't know if it's just because I'm getting older or something like that, because when I was a kid, I could sleep on a wooden plank and go to sleep. I mean, I've, I've slept on floors, I've slept on top of a van once, I mean, I've slept everywhere. A kid, how many you guys know your kids, when they're really tired, they can sleep with a half-eaten peanut butter sandwich in one hand on a cactus and go to sleep, right? They'll just go out anywhere. Uh, But but lately, I'm finding myself, I have to be just perfect. Everything has to be just right for me to go to sleep. And and so uh, I use that today to, to share with you this idea that for us to rest a lot of times, especially as we get more complicated things in our life, for us to really rest, we have to be free, as free from distractions as possible. And so when I'm trying to go to sleep, I'm trying to remove every single distraction that I can that's going to keep me awake as much as possible. And I believe as we go through the Christian life, we have to if we're going to be at rest with God's plan for our life, we have to be as free from as many distractions as possible. And even though this topic today it talks a lot about marriage and sex and divorce and singleness, The theme you're going to see all the way through this whole chapter, if you zoom out from a 30,000 foot view, you're going to see in every issue, Paul is talking about finding ways to remove distractions from your life. It just happens to be dealing with these topics. So let's look at this thing. 1 Corinthians right in the middle, chapter 7, verse 32. It says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. this topic that we're going to be looking at talks about marriage, divorce, sex, singleness, all these things. But the real theme throughout all of it is Paul is saying, "I want you to do whatever you can to remove distractions from your life." And these are areas that are easily uh, easy for us to get distracted in. So he says things like this: like if you're married, if you're not married, and you're distracted by sex, then maybe it's best for you to get married to remove that distraction. If you're single and you you want to get married, well, let me tell you, marriage has its own set of distractions so it's probably not going to solve all your problems that you think it will be uh, if, if you are uh, divorced and you want to get married are you sure because uh, you know the the stats are that when you get married a second or third time you're uh, statistically probability for divorce goes to like two thirds. Uh, it's like two thirds of people who get married a second time in a divorce. And so a lot of times we think we keep trying to solve our problems, but Paul warns us in so many different ways, so many different angles. He says, remove distractions from your life, whatever they may be, because here's a spiritual truth. What, whatever you think about the longest becomes the strongest whatever you think about the longest in your life whatever has your attention and whatever you focus on magnifies and it gets stronger and so if if you are fixated on certain areas of your of relationships that's going to become what's big in your life instead of god and paul is saying the whole time he's saying all of these things are interrupting your devotion to God. Let's go back and let's get on the right path. And so we want, how many of you guys want to become strong in every area of your life? Every area of your life you want to become strong? Paul begins to talk to each one of these different types of people in these different situations how to be strong. And so he, he says it to a few different kinds of people. First of all, he talks to the married people. And so here's where we come to this last part of the video we just watched. Uh, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, we'll start off there. Listen, we're going to be dealing with some t- tough topics today and some, some big questions today. So let's wrestle with it here. Here we go. Now concerning the matters, which you wrote, it's not, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of temptation, the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman, her own husband, the husband (laughs) should give to his wife, her conjugal rights. And likewise, the wife to her husband, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourself to prayer, but then come back together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So, right there is a tough passage of Scripture, okay? Right there is a tough passage of Scripture, Uh, First of all, evidently what had happened is in all of this culture that was sexually promiscuous, uh, this culture of Corinth, evidently some people decided to swing the pendulum all the way the other way. Instead of saying, hey, anything's okay, some people said, well, listen, if, if sex is bad, if all this stuff is bad, then even in marriage, we should just refrain from all of that. You, you know, and that it's not good. It's not good. And so somewhere they, they swung the pendulum the other way. Uh, some people, some commentators supposed that some of the Christian men who were actually in sexless marriages because of this were actually going to the prostitutes. And this was a big problem. This was not how God set it up. And so this was another problem that Paul had to deal with. Now, let's deal with a couple of things. First of all, a lot of people say because of this topic and because of chapter seven, that Paul was anti-marriage. And if you read this, you read all the way through there. It looks like Paul says a lot like, Hey guys, uh, it's probably best to avoid that marriage thing. And so, and he even goes on later on and we'll see. He says, I wish everybody would just be single like me now. That's how people take it out of context. People think that Paul was anti-marriage. In fact, they look at this first statement where Paul says it is good not to have sexual relations with with a a woman. Listen, Paul did not say that. He said, well, it's right in there, isn't it? See, that's the mistake. A lot of people think that Paul said that as some sort of command. Paul didn't say that. If you look in your scripture, at least in, in most translations, that it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman is in what? Quotations. Again, Paul is responding to a letter that they sent him. And so Paul is answering their question. And he said, he's, he's repeating back their question. So, so again, someone there said, hey, it must be good then that we don't have sex, even in marriage. And Paul says, listen, I get that it's it's a problem and that you've got to guard your heart. But, but here's the deal, sexual immorality is going to overtake you, and that's not God's plan. And so uh, let's deal with that. Paul didn't say, Paul was pro-marriage. Paul wasn't married, but I, I want you to re- remind, remind you of the fact that Paul wrote Ephesians chapter 5, which talks all about marriage, talks all about marriage. And, and so if you go and read that, Paul was very pro-marriage. Uh, another thing uh, that's a misunderstood passage is this idea that the husband uh, owns the wife's body. Now, there's a great topic, right? I mean, there's a, let's just deal with that one right there. You know what a lot of people have done? They've taken that, this scripture, and twisted it. And they've said, you know what? If we're in a godly marriage, uh, you know, a husband might say to a wife, listen... You you know, this is the Bible says this may be your favorite scripture right here. You know, well, well, you see uh, that your, your body's not your own. So, uh, you know, it's, it's mine. So whatever we want to do, whatever I want to do, that's, that's the way it's going to happen. Listen, that is a total twisting of what this scripture says. The scripture does not teach that idea at all. That's not what Paul was teaching, uh, here at all. Paul was teaching that marriage is a place where you serve one another. We'll, we'll look at that here in just a second, but just for the very, and, and sometimes people will say that Paul was anti-women because of this. Listen, I want to prove that completely is not true, completely not true. And, and let me show you a couple of reasons why. First of all, for Paul to say, he, he said the husband has authority over the wife, but I want you to know what he also said, that the wife has authority over the husband's body. Everyone seems to leave that part out. And for Paul to say that in that culture was radical. Because in that culture, women were basically in one sense property because they were there to help domestic around the house and to have children for the man. And the man had whatever rights and privileges. So sex for a man was a privilege, but sex for a wife was a duty. In his society. And for him to say this was completely radical, and he completely elevated women at a place that would have been unbelievably radical for his day and age to even dare to put men and women uh, on the same playing field in it comes to, when it comes to anything. And so uh, this was a radical deal. And for Paul to talk all the way through scripture, and he's constantly elevating women, he's constantly elevating ladies. Listen, this is is radical for his day. So I want to deal with some wrong thinking in in, uh, several different areas. First of all, to the married people, wrong thinking is this. Husbands, wives, listen, wrong thinking. You owe me. And because of things like this, and especially in the area of sexual issues, a lot of times, but this can play out anywhere in our marriage. This idea that you owe me. You see, there's this myth about marriage, that once we come together, that, you know, we're, we're married, and so everything ought to be done 50-50. You know, we, we ought to, you know, keep the house 50-50, we ought to keep the finest we ought to do everything 50-50, and that begins to bleed into our thinking and our way of thinking about how we interact with one another. Uh, you know, we begin to keep points and scores about who did what and when and how much and who owes who. And we have this kind of punch card to win a prize approach to marriage. Like if my husband does all these things, then yeah, you know, or the the, the husband might, and I'm just being stereotypical here, I realize, but it might be that the husband's like, well, well, you know, I've done all these things, so you owe me. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. We've been conditioned from birth that the way to win anything is to, uh, to keep the score. You win by scoring points, right? I mean, how you guys hate those Christian board games where nobody wins? I hate those things. We bought, we spent a lot of money one time buying one of those board games. We played it all and we got to the end and we realized we're all winners. Well, that's a bunch of crud. No, we're not. Somebody lost and we're going to play until we figure out who that is. But we're conditioned. I mean, that's the way. I, I, that, how many of you guys are that way? You're just highly competitive. It's like we're not. No, somebody's losing this game, and I tell you what, it's not going to be me. And I will lose our friendship over that if it comes down to it, because we're conditioned to keep score. So, so when it comes to our relationships, how do you know if you're winning by the score, by who's doing what? How do you know if you're losing in relationships by the score, by keeping score? And yet this is how we play the game of our relationships. And we keep scoring. It ultimately leads to bitterness. Marriage is never 50-50. That's a total, totally unbiblical concept. The Bible does not teach that marriage is 50-50. In fact, the Bible teaches that for you, this is just talking to you. It's not talking about your spouse. For you, marriage is always 100%. That you are to give 100% no matter what the other person is doing, no matter what they've done. You could even have a marriage exist and survive. This is not God's best, but you could have a marriage exist and survive where one of the spouses is 100% selfish and the other spouse is 100% selfless. That's not God's best, but the point is as far as it determines determines for you that you are to be 100% in all the way, giving everything, not, not keeping score you say, well, what about them? But they're not doing their part. Listen, how many of you guys want, a, want a, a, a piece of advice that I guarantee your marriage will change? How many of you guys would like to hear a, a guaranteed, I guarantee if you do this, your marriage will change today? I promise you, okay? I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you an answer that's going to guarantee your marriage will change. You change. And your marriage has changed. You want your marriage to change? You change and you will have changed your marriage. It's as simple as that. You owe me doesn't work in any area of a relationship. That's not how God designed it. So what's the solution? Well, here's the solution, especially this idea of sex. It's to allow God into our sex life. Now, for some of you guys, you're like, that sounds weird. (laughs) Allow God into our sex life? What does that mean? Married people, I'm talking to married people now. Do you think that, you know, when you go into your room and you shut the door that God's like, man, I hope they get done quick and just, you know, wait for they come back out. (laughs) Do you think that's how it works? (laughs) No, God is involved in it. In fact, God created this idea. This is God's idea. God is not embarrassed by it. He's not afraid of it. He's not any of that. And yet some of us, we've just pushed God out of that and said, well, you know, we'll, we'll be back, God. You know, that's not how it works. And we've got to allow God into our sex life. Now, what does that mean? What what does that mean? Well, what is God like? How does that play out? Let me tell you two things about this scripture we just looked at, about the husband having authority over his wife's body and the wife having authority. What, What does that mean? Well, first of all, let's deal with the first point, and that's this. Sex is not a right to be demanded, but an opportunity to love. It's not a right to be demanded. I want you to see something very subtle about that scripture, and how that scripture is read. Okay, it's very subtle. Let me go back to it. Uh, It says, The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And then it says the wife's the same way. I want you to see a key word in there when it comes to this, this particular topic. Give. The husband shall give. The wife shall give. And I think how we read it is the husband gets to demand and the wife gets to demand because their body's not there. That's not what it teaches at all. God, allow God into our sex life means that we, we act like God in every area that we let God's love and God's ways. And God is a giver. God is love. Uh, Why? And he gives us a reason why we should never demand. And he gives us this reason why we're one with one another. It's because we're in covenant. He's basically saying that word authority could be kind of tricky. What he's really saying is this. You're in covenant with one another, so now you belong to one another. You are each other's. So the husband ought to give. The wife ought to give because you are, you belong to one another. Love does not demand. Love is a choice. Some of you guys know that's true. Love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. And love, if you look at 1 Corinthians later on in in chapter 13, love never demands. Love is a choice. So let me tell you, husbands and wives, there will be times when you have to choose to give. Not that it's demanded of you, not that you have to, but you will choose to give. Is anybody following me this morning? You may not feel like it, you may not feel like it, but because you love, you choose. Because God made you that way. Love always wants the highest good for the other person and does whatever it takes to see it come to pass. That's one of my favorite definitions of love. Love, does what, love wants the highest good for the other person and does whatever it takes to see it come to pass. That is what sex looks like when God is involved because God is a giver. And we as husbands and wives ought to be givers. Now, the second thing about that scripture is this. Sex is not to be used as a reward or a punishment but to serve. Because again, I think sometimes we use that as a reward or a punishment. And if you're using sex as a reward for good behavior or as a punishment uh, for undesired behavior, you're off track, way off track. And you have not allowed Jesus into that area of your life. You've not allowed Jesus. Listen, whatever area you don't surrender, God can't work in. Why would God bless some area of your life that you don't surrender and, and so many times in marriages, listen, I, I've done a lot of marriage counseling, I guess you could say, or ministry with different couples, and, and a lot of times we use everything as bargaining chips. Listen, don't use sex as a bargaining chip. Like, if, if they will do this, then I will give this. You know what? If you demand some sort of payment for sex, we call that something else. That is not the way of God. Boy, I'm preaching strong today, aren't I? you, You wanted me to preach on 1 Corinthians 7, so there we go. We call that a prostitute. We don't call that a loving spouse. So we don't withhold sex or give sex as a reward. That is not how God operates. It's an opportunity to serve, to be willing to provide what your spouse needs or even wants. And here's what I know. You can give without loving, but you can never love without giving. And if we love one another in marriage, we are going to be givers in marriage in all areas. The purpose of marriage, let me give you a purpose for marriage. God gave you your mate as a gift so that he could show them how much he loves them through you. So ask yourself this question this week. How am I demonstrating to my spouse in a way that they feel that they are my priority? Not in a way that I feel, but how am I demonstrating this week in a way that they feel so. So Paul has some pretty strong things to say to, to married people, but he doesn't stop there. He starts to talk to the single people too. So let's, let's all of you married people, you're off the hot seat now. Just take a breath and just relax, okay? Uh, pretend like you're still interested. Um, to the singles, he begins to say this: 1 Corinthians chapter seven, verse eight and nine. To the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. It's good. So how, let me just. How many of you guys are single? This is not going to, all right, several single. All right, Paul's saying, hey, it's a good thing. You say, well, I don't feel like it's good. Paul said it's a good thing. He says it's good for you to be single, uh, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So there's his kind of like, hey, don't get way off and distracted. It's better for you to marry than to, to fall into sin. Go down to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 24. So brothers, in whatever condition each is called, let they, let there let them remain with God. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in the view of the present distress, it is good. And we're going to talk about what that present distress was he was talking about is key to the context. Uh, It is good for a person to remain as he is. So he, he says, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. But, he's saying, yet, those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. You know, the Bible gives scriptural key to not having any problems in marriage, and it's found right in this scripture. How many of you guys would like to have no problems in marriage? No problems? Anybody like that? The Bible gives us a key right here. It's in verse 28. It says, uh, those who marry will have trouble. If you would avoid trouble in marriage, Paul, Paul's saying the only way is for you not to be married. That's it. So if you are married, you're going to have issues. And that's what he's warning single people. He's like, you think you're so distracted by being single right now? Wait till you get married. Because you got other issues now. You've got, you got other issues. Uh, so he says here, he says in this present distress, you know, some scholars will say that around this time, there was a grain shortage in the Greek world. There's a grain shortage. Now, a lot of people in Paul's small church uh, would have actually been poor. They had some influential people, but most of them were poor. And so they would have been affected by this uh, pretty bad. And so, uh, so part of the reason why Paul is going to great lengths to say, are you sure you want to get married now? is because he's saying it's going to be hard for you to feed your families and be dealing with all of these distractions and serve the Lord in this present distress. It's going to be hard. So are you sure you want to add that? as a distraction. So, so that's, uh, kind of what he's talking about there. Let me deal with some wrong thinking for single people. And here it is. You you might say, well, first of all, you say, uh, well, Sean, you can't tell, tell me, you know, anything about being single because you're not single. You don't understand. Uh, listen, that's foolish talk. Okay. Because if you want to go down that line, listen, Paul was single and yet he's the first and foremost uh, expert on marriage in the Bible. So just because I am not in your current situation does not mean I don't have uh, something to say about this topic or that the Word of God doesn't have something to say. So be open, okay? Let me deal with some wrong thinking. The first wrong thinking for a, a single person might be this. God owes me. See, for the married, we have wrong thinking of you owe me. Singles, many times we fall into this trap of God owes me. I've been doing all of these things. I've been faithful. I've been doing all these things. And why isn't God bringing me a spouse? God owes me a spouse. I've prayed. I've sought after. I've been faithful. I've prepared. God owes me. God, you owe me this. Listen, do you really believe? Let me ask you a question. Do you really believe that God's ways are best? Really believe that? Because maybe uh, you need to stop demanding from God something that he doesn't want to give just yet. If God's ways are best. And yet we have fallen in this trap of God owes me. Listen, Christians are just as susceptible to this worldly thinking that is the idea of society and social pressures as non-believers. that I need to be married to be complete. That is further from the truth. That is not the truth. You do not need to be married to be complete. Uh, You don't need that. Now, God may have that in his will for you, and that's part of the process, and that's a, that's a wonderful thing, but you are not incomplete if you are not married, that, and so many times we fall into that idea that I need to be married. Paul says this, that's a bunch of worldly thinking right there. If you think you're incomplete without a spouse or without a relationship constantly in your life, God does not owe you a spouse. God doesn't owe you that. You are not incomplete in this season without one. Amen? That's good news for somebody this morning. You are not incomplete without one. You know, the average uh, marrying age today in the United States is somewhere around 28 years old. 28 years old, somewhere around there, depending on how you slice it. Listen, I got married young. I got married when I was 18. You know there are problems when you get married young. (laughs) How many of you guys got married uh, under the age of 20? Anybody? All right. So look. How many you guys, are, like, there There's some issues, right? There's some issues. There's always issues, but there's some issues. Because they say, you know, I know for me, when I was 18, I knew the most, I, I was the most knowledgeable and the most mature at 18 in my mind. Because I knew everything at 18, right? How many of you guys know that? You, you know, that doesn't work so well going, at, now here I am, 39, I'm realizing how little I knew back then, which makes me aware of how little I might know now that I will find out in 20 years. So I don't know. I'm I'm like at least aware that I don't know, you know? Uh, So, but there's problems. And so sometimes we want to get married. We want to get married. Listen, stop making an idol out of marriage. Stop making an idol out of marriage. Young people, I know. Let me tell I got a section of young people right here. Young people, I know that you think you're supposed to get married now. Like, because I know when I was that age, I actually did, but... (laughs) I thought it, and I did. but Older single people, maybe you feel like you're supposed to get married now. But remember that average age of 28? What if there's a 10-year gap from when you, where you are right now to the person God has for you, and it's 10 years from now? Are you going to waste all of that time worrying, fretting, Carrying that, uh, making an idol out of that. Are you going to waste all of that time being frustrated, making an idol out of a relationship that doesn't exist right now? Again, you guys want me to preach on this, so I'm just you know I'm just going with it. Um, So what's the solution? The solution is allow God into your singleness. Allow God into your singleness. You're not incomplete right now. Allow God into this moment. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32. Paul, again, we read this earlier, but Paul says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried and betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint on you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. First of all, let me ask a question, single people. You know, he, he says, he puts a contrast. He says, the married person is distracted. The single person gets to be devoted. Let me ask you, are you devoted or are you distracted? Because even though Paul says what's really supposed to happen when you're single is you have the opportunity to be devoted, you're single and you're distracted. And you're squandering years that God wants to do something unique in your life. Paul presents singleness not as a liability, but as as an opportunity. Do you see that there? Paul presents this idea. You are single. That's not a bad thing. In fact, you have an opportunity to focus on God like a married person doesn't. Don't squander that opportunity that God has given you. He's given you that opportunity as a gift. We have to have the right perspective. If not, we blow the opportunity that God has given us. What are you going to do over the next, what if it's 10 years? What are you going to do over the next 10 years that you could fully devote to God? What might God do in your life if you dropped the distraction and you went all the way after God and let God in his timing figure things out? What kind of things could you accomplish for the kingdom of God if you dropped the distraction and you went all out for God in these years instead of constantly being distracted with your singleness? Listen, Paul was single. Jesus was single. What opportunities are we missing by being consumed with our singleness instead of being consumed with God? That's really good, guys. That's really good stuff. If we just apply it to our lives. Give up your idol of a relationship and start worshiping the living God again. Lay it down at the altar. Give it to God. All right. To those who are thinking of divorce, Paul has some things to say here, too. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 through 11. It says, To the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. Now, have you guys have trouble with that right there? Like if scripture is supposed to be like, this is supposed to be scripture. So Paul is writing like God's word. So how can he say, what do we do with this, right? Not I, but the Lord. To the married I give the charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does... Uh, should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. You see, the reason I bring that up is because in other places he said, uh, this is my opinion, not, not what the Lord said. You, if you read the whole chapter, there's another spot where he says, I, not the Lord, say this. Now, let me just help some of you guys out because I can't answer every question because of time. But what he's actually talking about there is he was actually referring in in the earlier portion, not this one, but in the earlier portion, he was referring to what Jesus said about marriage. So he was simply saying, uh, I, I am saying this in extension to what Jesus has already said. And here he's saying, uh, not I, but the Lord, the wife should not separate from the husband. Jesus actually said this in the gospels. Okay, is everybody following me on that? Jesus said this in the gospel. He says, I'm not saying this, Jesus said it. In another part, he says, I'm saying this, Jesus didn't say it, I'm just kind of explaining it. Okay, so just so you, as you go back and look at that. So to those v- thinking about divorce, uh, it says a husband shouldn't divorce his wife. And here's some wrong thinking. If you're in a marriage right now that's struggling, here's some wrong thinking that you fall prey to, and it's this, I owe me. To the married, you owe me. To the singles, God owes me. If you're in a marriage right now that's struggling, you might be wrestling with this wrong thinking. I owe it to myself. Would God want me to be unhappy this whole time? I owe it to myself to get out of this frustrating situation. I owe me. You know, I've, I've been around people in different marriage situations. Some people just get up one day. I've seen it time and time again. They'll just get up one day and they'll just finally something will snap in them. They'll just say, "I want to do something else. I owe it to myself," and they will just take off and leave a marriage. I know this one guy. He came home from a business trip and the wife had had moved everything, had taken everything out of the house and was gone. That takes some work. I mean, she had to coordinate that one, but that's how sometimes people think. I owe it to myself. I don't need to be stuck in this situation. Listen, a big problem with Christian marriages is that most of them aren't Christian. They're worldly and we just add Christianity a little bit to it. And because of that, we end up with worldly thinking. Every day people, listen, all of us do this to some degree. Every day we wake up and we evaluate our marriages. If you're married, you evaluate, am I happier than yesterday? If I am, then things are getting better. Am I happier today or am I, you know, worse today than I was yesterday? Then my marriage must must not be going good. And we end up asking the wrong questions. We're not supposed to ask what makes me happy. We're supposed to ask what makes God happy in our marriage. It's not about I owe me. I owe it to myself. What makes God? What pleases God? So let me just uh, give you this solution, which is very similar to the others, but let's allow God into our suffering. I'm not going to deny that some of us might be suffering here this morning. Some of you guys, you... You span the gamut of all different situations, and some of you may be suffering. Some of you guys may be in situations of abuse or, or all these different things, and, and your situation may be different than someone else's, but no doubt there are people here today that are suffering in some degree in marriage. Can we allow God into that suffering instead of I owe me? Can we allow God into that suffering? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12, here's that part I was talking about earlier, to the rest I say, I, not the Lord, in other words, he's given an extension to what Jesus has already said, that if any brother has a wife who's an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. Listen, let's deal with this right now. Some of you guys may be in this room and you are married. Your spouse may not be here this morning and you're married to an unbeliever. What what do you do? What do you do? And they wrestled with this back in their day too. Here, Paul gives us clear information about this. He says he should not divorce her. Here's what's going on here. Paul gives this very clear instruction. He said, listen, if you are married to an unbeliever and they are willing to live with you, even as a believer, live with them. Why? We'll talk about that here in a minute. If they decide to go, there's nothing you can do about that. You might have to let them go as an unbeliever. But why does Paul say live with them? What's the point of that? I mean, aren't we supposed to not have unions or marriages that are unequally yoked? Why does he say that? And here's why he said that. Let me just set it up this way. You know that Jesus touched lepers, right? Lepers in that society were unclean, and you were not to touch a leper. But Jesus touched lepers. And yet Jesus, when he touched a leper, he never became unclean by touching a leper. Everything Jesus touched became holy, And what Paul's talking about here is he's saying your very presence. Listen, let me talk to you spouses who maybe you are, it's difficult. I know it might be difficult in your situation to try to follow after God when your spouse doesn't want to. Listen, here's what what he's saying. Your very presence in this situation allows God's holy presence to be near to your spouse in a way that it couldn't be in any other way. Your very presence in that marriage allows God's presence a doorway into that person's life. He says, how do you know? You may be the person that leads them to Christ. Husband, you may be the person that leads them to Christ. Wife, don't throw away that opportunity for the gospel. Because your very presence in that difficult situation allows God to be able to move in a brand new way. Listen, to those of you guys who are already divorced, listen the same is true for you. You even being near suffering in that broken situation, you being near your children, you being near even your your ex-husband or wife allows God's presence in some way to be there in a way it couldn't otherwise. Can we allow God to be a part, and it's a suffering, it's not pleasant, but it's suffering. Allow God to be a part of our suffering. Your presence in difficult situations keeps the work of the Holy Spirit near. And that's an amazing thing. I have two uh, friends. Both of them grew up, and their dads were alcoholics. But they uh, they had praying mothers. And their moms would pray. And so here in this broken situation, the kids could have been drawn away from God in this broken situation. But, but by the grace of God and by the presence of a praying mother, that God worked it out so much that, that these guys, they, even though they went off track for a while, they came back to Christ. And both of them pastor great, thriving churches today. And actually, both of those men are on the board of this church. Why? Because there was the presence of a praying mother who said, invited God into her suffering and just decided to be faithful and to allow God's presence to permeate a situation where it was a very difficult situation. How do we do this guys? How do we, how do we honor God in our marriage, in our singleness, in our suffering? How do how do we do that? We have to live by faith. And too many times we're captivated by feelings. You know what living by faith is? Living by faith is putting our feelings in the back seat and putting faith of God's truth in the driver's seat of our life. It's when we allow truth to drive us instead of our feelings. Because right now, no doubt, you may be dealing with issues of sex. You may be dealing with struggling with singleness. You may be dealing with uh, you know, suffering in your marriage somewhere or in, in a divorce situation or with an unbelieving spouse. You know what living by faith does? And this is the only way we can do it is when we put the truth of God's word and God's ways in the driver's seat of our life. And we put the feelings in the back seat. It doesn't mean we ignore our feelings. They're very real. They're very there. But we let God's truth drive it instead of our feelings. What does that look like? Well, forgiving somebody. You know, sometimes our feelings will say, why does it even matter? It it won't change anything or make a difference. But faith says, I'm going to walk this out. I'm going to walk this process out in spite of how I feel. And I believe that God has some fruit that's going to come to that. We have to exchange feelings for faith, the the world's ways for God's ways. You see, feelings would say this, you hurt me, and so I'm going to make sure that you feel what I feel. And faith says, Treat others as you want to be treated. Never pay back evil for evil. See, that's walking the way of faith. Feelings would say, there is so much wrong with you. Have you guys ever been in that situation? There is so much wrong with you right now. But you know what faith says? There's so much right with you right now. And I'm going to dig until I find it. Sometimes you got to dig deep, right? But you, you just dig deep. Feelings would say, you've done this 27 million times. You don't deserve another chance. But faith says there is no scoreboard Love keeps no record of being wronged. See, we got a fork in the road, and and we're dealing with this. Why it feels a little bit heavy in here this morning is because we're this is touching some deep places in us. It's touching some deep places, but we're at many of you right now, maybe at a fork in the road in your, your relationships or in your walk with God, and we have to choose in every situation that we're going to walk by faith and not by our feelings. I believe as we close up this service that some of you guys that are in difficult situations right now, you know what a good marriage needs is a reset button every time, you know, sometimes daily, right? You need a reset button. But we can make things right in our relationships. We can make things right with God. Why? Because he made things right for us. He made things right on the cross. And it may have taken a series of small steps over years and years and years to get to the place that you are in your marriage or that you are in your relationships. But here's what I know. All it takes is one step back today to the cross and laying everything down for everything to change. How many of you guys truly believe that? That all it takes is one step back. Would you guys stand up with me as we get ready to close? We're gonna come and receive communion. And I want us, as we come to the table this morning, I want us to look at it as a step of faith, of coming back to the ways of God, of laying down our feelings at the altar and putting faith back on the table, saying, God, I wanna walk by faith. And as we do that, we're gonna sing that song, uh, that that song that talks about getting out of the boat, stepping, walking out on the water. And I I want you guys to, as we sing that song, to just let a renewed faith and hope rise up in you again. I'm going to pray. And as we do this, you come and you get the elements there at the table. The, the, the drink is, represents the blood of Jesus that was spilled for us on the cross. His blood, it was at the cross where he paid the price. The body is represented by the bread that was broken for us. So that he can take the broken pieces of our life and he can put them back together. And as we come to the table, there's tables in back, there's tables in front. Just grab these elements, take them back to your seat and right there where you're at, just before God, just say, God, I'm stepping back into the way of faith in my relationships. I'm stepping back into the way of faith in my relationship with you. Lord, write things in my life again. Write things in my heart again. I lay them down at your feet right now. So Lord, we just do that today, this morning. Lord, we just lay down our feelings at your feet. We lay down our problems. Lord, I know that there are people who may be suffering here this morning in all kinds of different situations, Lord, we allow you and we invite you into our suffering. I know that there are maybe people here struggling in their singleness and and, and relationships. And Lord, I I just pray right now that they would just have the boldness right now to allow you, to to invite you into the singleness. Lord, I know one of the biggest uh, issues that married couples wrestle with is that issue of sex. And, And Lord, I pray right now, that we would allow you in your ways, and your heart, even into those intimate areas of our life. Lord, bring healing as we come to, to the table this morning. We thank you for your victory, that, that you lived a perfect sinless life and you laid down your life on the cross. You rose from the dead. You paid the price for our sins, past, present, and future. We just, we walk in that truth, Lord. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen, let's receive We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.